So some of you might remember this ad I'm about to talk about. It was back when Apple was known as Apple Computers. It was 1984, and it actually traded on that 1984 George Orwell-like imagery. It was a group of people sitting in a room, all looking very tense, very wan, very serious, very unhappy, staring at a big screen, much bigger than this one, with an image of Big Brother on it. And they almost looked like they were not alive. It was actually introducing, I think, the first ever Mac, the successor to, you know, the Apple IIe. And down the aisle comes this man or this woman, I can't remember which one, swinging this, like, hammer of Thor hammer throw. You know, they just swing around and swing around and swing around as they run, and psh, they throw it through the screen. We weren't going to try that here today, although if one of you wanted to come on down and try it, well, I'd give you A&A for effort. And it was shattered and revealed something new that was going to happen, this release of this new Mac. I want to focus not on Apple or Apple computing. I want to focus on those people sitting there looking completely drained of life, not at all like you today, completely drained of life, as almost if they had the spirit, the heart drained right out of them. I thought that was fanciful until a few years ago. It was our first year, my wife and I living here, we were living as we still do in Chestnut Hill. And there wasn't any Wellsprings that had services yet. And we decided, let's go to Christmas Eve service somewhere in our neighborhood. And I'm not going to tell you which spiritual community this was. And I believed that that Apple computing ad was completely fanciful until I sat with this group of people in that church on Christmas Eve. Seriously, folks, it was that dead. I was like, folks, OK, Good Friday. Maybe you could get away with that kind of energy, but this is not a funeral. This is a birth. I think the phrase, if you've ever heard it, God's frozen people, it was for that specific church. I get such a different feeling here at Wellsprings in one of my favorite parts of our service each Sunday that I have almost absolutely nothing to do with. Is it the part of the service when I ask you to greet each other? Part, part of the service where I feel the kindness and the love and the spirit and everything that we are together and you make that incredible joyful noise. I love that part of the service. I love that energy. It's the opposite of frozenness. It is free flowing. I also love that in that time of kindness, real spirit and real energy that you share, I love to see all the handshakes. And I'd love to see all those great big bear hugs that you offer to each other as well. The power of real kindness in spiritual community is something that came home to me a number of years ago when I was serving my first congregation in South Florida. And I was doing a worship workshop with another spiritual community near us, smaller than my own, maybe 80, 90 people in that congregation. And they had a worship team that was maybe, you know, a tenth the size of the congregation. And I was walking them through what each of the distinct elements in their liturgy did, you know, what the order of service stood for, what was the flow, what it meant, what it was supposed to do. And we came down to the end. They talked about, you know, their benediction, their closing words and what that was designed to do. And they had a very specific way of doing it. That was their time of actually physically touching each other and reaching out to each other. Someone said, I don't know, 
cold and flu season is coming up. I think we should stop touching each other or it makes me feel weird. I don't like holding hands of strangers, all this kind of stuff. And then one person who in the room up until this time had been entirely quiet. She spoke up in a somewhat meek but also true voice. She said, when I first started attending this congregation, I was very, very sick. And I was alone in my life. The only time during the week when I knew that I was going to be touched by another human being who was not a medical professional was when I came to this congregation each week. It was the one place when I knew someone would extend their hand to me in kindness and I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to explain I was sick. I didn't have to talk about my symptoms. I didn't have to talk about anything but be here and be touched by this community. They decided to keep that part of their service. When we as a spiritual community can share this kind of kindness, this basic kind of kindness, we don't do everything, but we do a lot. To remember that is to remember the power of who we can be with each other when we are truly mindful of each other's presence. And it brings me to today's message. This is the second in the series on spiritual maturity from Jack Kornfield and his great book, A Path with Heart. And today is about kindness and is directly related to what I was talking about last week. Last week, we talked about non-idealism, not having a sense of our lives in which we only have this pure, perfect representation of who we think we are. The problem with that idealized self is that it leaves so much out. It focuses on just our light and very often just a narrow part of our light, the light that other people may not even see or pick up on what we think it is. It leaves out our shadow. It leaves out our whole selves and our capacity to be real, true flesh and blood and spirited human beings. So often, and this is the connection to kindness this morning, that moralistic, idealized self becomes scolding. It becomes harsh. It cannot experience the kind of kindness that Jack Cornfield talks about, which he talks about as a form of deep, compassionate understanding of ourselves and others, a real kind of acceptance of self and other. Kindness is so much big than idealistic moralism. Moralism really comes in two flavors, and they are both very, very bitter on the tongue. The first is self-righteousness. He talks about in this chapter that Alan Watts says some people turn their spirituality and their religion into a grim duty. All obligation, all have to, no want to, no heart, no kindness, all have to. I remember this from a study that came out this past spring. Maybe you might remember it was somewhat controversial and it turns out actually it was a very poorly designed study and its outcome actually is not to be trusted. But it raises an interesting point. The study said that people who buy green products in this particular study, do you remember this one? People who buy green products were actually less likely to be kind and more likely to cheat other people. Came out, I think, last March. Now, again, a very poorly designed study. I'll just tell you one of the things right off the bat that made it a poorly designed study. It was this, is that in the study, they took people who were not buying green and said for the next six weeks or two months or whatever the duration was, you have to buy green. That's our study. Now, obviously, there's a big design flaw with that. That's a big problem. But what the theory behind it is, is worthy to explore, especially when it comes to self-righteousness and believing that we are so good that maybe, well, you know, we've been so good in this one part of our life, we might deserve to skim a little off the top over here. Or maybe I'm so nice in this part of my life that when I get back home, well, I can maybe not be so nice. That kind of self-righteous moralism 
that thinks somehow because, you know, we're being really good in one aspect of our lives, we can let it slide elsewhere. That violates the very spirit of kindness, because for kindness to be kind, it must be a part of us in every moment. Not that we are perfect with it. We cannot be. But it must be an aspiration for us where we are. The other side of moralism that kills kindness and perhaps the bitterest thing any of us will ever taste is the moralism that leads to self-loathing. Believing that because we cannot be perfect people or we fail sometimes that in fact we are at our very basis and base cracked and flawed and broken. As opposed to this, these two false choices and aspiring to lead a decent and beneficial life, Cornfield says, perhaps we might just try compassion and understanding. Compassionate understanding of ourselves and another person. And he quotes in trying to get his point across the wonderful Unitarian Universalist poet, Mary Oliver. She says, you don't have to. And I'm going to try and get down and do this here. Oh, it's a hard floor. You don't have to walk on your knees through the desert, repenting all the day long for 500 miles. Jesus, five yards and that hurts. Excuse me. <laughs> That's not what we have to do. Now, and I say that as someone who has had to do a lot of repenting in my life and a lot of amends making. I don't want to leave that out. But as the great radical Catholic priest Richard Rohr says, that's a lot of first stage religion, first steps, first stage religion, which is preoccupied with removing the impure elements of us, taking those out and removing us and flinging them far from us. But that's not sustainable. I can tell you, my knees are barking right now. It's not sustainable to live that kind of life of repenting and almost trying to extinguish our own flame entirely. Kindness starts first and foremost in knowing and loving the whole self. It doesn't mean that we're always pleased with ourselves. It doesn't mean that we have to be. It means having that kind of vision and perception that allows us to perceive who and what we are. Mary Oliver continues in the poem that was quoted it is not about walking on our knees and repenting all the day long for 500 miles. It is about giving ourselves permission to allow, as she says in a beautiful phrase, the soft animal of our body to love what it loves. To on a daily basis give ourselves this kind of permission to love what we love. For me, this image brought me back to the very earliest parts of who all of us are. I'm not a real big fan of the inner child kind of stuff, but, you know, it's in there. We all started out entering this life needing not just food and shelter, but if we are going to thrive. And sometimes when we do not, they call it that failure to thrive. We need not just the food and shelter and the bodily needs taken care of. We need touch. We need kindness. We need love and not the kind of love that says I love you and makes it easy that way. Because it means nothing to an infant kind of love of being held. I think of the horrific experiments, completely unethical, although they revealed a lot, but they're the kind of thing that cannot go on anymore. Some of you might know the name Harry Harlow. He did research in the 1950s with rhesus monkeys who are so much like us. So much in their needs to connect and be loved. And he took these rhesus monkeys away from their caregivers, away from their moms. And they set them up. These little rhesus baby monkeys would have two choices. You can go to a wire 
wire mesh monkey that will give you food. Or you can go to another fake monkey that is bo- whose body is made out of felt. The rhesus monkeys chose the fake money, that monkey that would not feed them, but would touch them. That is a part of who we are as well. As adults, that felt need gets expressed differently, but I don't think it ever should disappear. I don't think it ever does disappear. Emerson, a great sage, lived a life in which it was easier for him to be kind on the paper than it was in person. And he struggled with this. You can hear himself almost wanting to give himself encouragement to be kind in life. And he wrote these words. He said, we, and he probably should have said, I have a great deal more kindness than is ever spoken. How many we see in the street or sit with in church whom though silently we would warmly rejoice to be with. The scholar sits down to write and in all her years of meditation do not furnish her with one good thought or happy academic expression. But then it is necessary to write a letter to her friend. And from that troops of gentle thoughts invest themselves on every hand with the choicest chosen words. It's as if Emerson was trying to give himself permission to go out and be kind, (laughs) express that love within him. I think that is why kindness is more than any of the other. And as Cornfield says in this chapter, this kind of kindness, this true self-acceptance, this ability to see all of ourselves and through that to be led outward towards other people, it is more than half. Of our spiritual practice. That's why kindness is the daily spiritual practice. We might call someone courageous based on just a few moments from their lives. The moment when they get that cancer diagnosis or that moment when they lose their job that they were depending on or that moment where they go into battle, physical or spiritual. We might call someone courageous based upon a few single moments in life and say that person has courage. But we do not base our estimation of ourselves or others And the virtue of kindness, depending on a single moment. Kindness is an everyday affair. It is who we are right here, right now. It is who we are when we go to Wawa. It is who we are when we we return home at the end of the day. Kindness is an everyday affair. Cool thing about kindness as well is that it is an everyday affair with a completely timeless dimension. In the Buddhist tradition, they talk about four limitless qualities, four limitless qualities in every spiritual aspiration, compassion, sympathetic joy, equanimity and loving kindness. Our great teacher in our tradition, the first universalist or the first person to establish a universalist congregation in America, still here in Gloucester, Massachusetts, John Murray, told against the Calvinism of his day that said, you are born with a ticket to hell. He said, go out into the highways and the byways, share your vision, share your light, even if it is a small one. And sometimes kindness is so small. He continued, share who you are, give people not hell, but give them hope and give them courage. Share with them the everlasting kindness and love of God. Great thing about anything that is limitless is it can never be exhausted. It is here every day for us to share in, for us to practice, and we have to show up. And yes, on this day, when two days after my Yankees were swept out, and yes, Phillies fans, we are all Cubs fans this morning. 
we are all going to have to wait till next year. I'm going to quote Joe DiMaggio. When he was asked towards the end of his career before he retired, why is it that you play so hard every day? It applies to kindness as well. He said, because there is someone there in the stands who has never seen me play before. And I want to give them the fullness of myself. Kindness is like that. It's about the demonstration of who we are, not the representation, but the true heart and reality. And at times we all do, and I cop to it, obviously, when we are not as kind as we would wish. But truly, if kindness is part of those limitless qualities of what it means to live a virtuous and spiritual life, we can say to ourselves, well, forget it. I'll never reach it. I'm just going to go off and do my own thing. Or we can say, today I did not live in the manner that I would have wished I would have. I was not as kind as I wished I would have been. But tomorrow I will aspire to do better. There is a kind of wonderful forgiveness at the heart of everything that is limitless because we can always return and return and return again. It is never finished with us and we are never quit with it if we choose not to be. Sometimes, especially as adults, we get into this little staring game with our kindness little emotional chicken. That was the God's frozen people, folks. Why show kindness? It's weakness. It's vulnerability. Now, maybe if you extend yourself towards me, I'll take, you know, maybe a tiny step towards you. But you remember Dr. Seuss, the north going Zacks and the south going Zacks that were stuck in their tracks? Remember those? Well, if you don't, go ahead and read it. It's essential literature. Trust me. Trust me. It is. They would not move. They would not budge. And they stood there as the west of the world grew around them. The north going Zacks and the south going Zacks still stuck in their tracks. That game of emotional chicken reminds me of one of my favorite passages from the Hebrew scriptures. When Moses first approaches Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And the cool thing is actually in the story at first, Pharaoh's inclined to. Feels maybe some of that compassionate understanding. And then... As it says in the phrase, but then Pharaoh hardened his heart over and over and over again. And then Pharaoh hardened his heart. It didn't say he wanted the free labor. It didn't say that he wanted to control power. It said specifically Pharaoh hardened his heart. Heart. That is exactly what Paul McCartney is getting at in Hey Jude, is a fool who plays it cool by making their world a little bit colder. And that's just not theoretical. Some of you might know that Paul wrote that song after John had abandoned his son. He wrote it for Julian Lennon. He's even saying, you know what? The world can be cold. The world can be cruel. But don't, boy, let it harden your heart. Don't armor your heart because you have been hurt, because in that way you will forestall yourself for making any real connection, and you will make our world, all of our world, even colder as well. Sometimes in this emotional game of chicken and not wanting to show our true face, our kind face, which I believe is more natural to us than cruelty, even though cruelty is an abundance in our world, sometimes we don't want to appear the fool. And all I would say to that is that a cool fool not showing kindness stays all by themselves. A kind fool is foolish for all to see. That's why I'm up here every week. Let ourselves be foolish for kindness. If we're going to be fools, be fools at least for the right stuff. The kindness and the willingness to be vulnerable. 
You know, that great old book, it's actually the most popular, most best-selling book by any UU author that's ever been. And unless I really, really, really commit a bestseller someday, it's still going to be the most popular. Everything I know, I learned in kindergarten. Robert Fulgham. Kindness, kindergarten, share the same root word. Kin, the German kinder, kindness. What happens when we express our kindness that Emerson says we should let flow from us. When we do this, what happens is we expose our roots. We let our roots show that indeed we are all kin and indeed are all connected. So when we feel ourselves being hurt and our hearts hardening, it doesn't mean that we should allow ourselves to be a doormat. It just means that we have to guard so carefully the fact that we do not shut our hearts down because we have been hurt. I try to remind and remember that old saying, that old saying from a Roman philosopher, be kind because everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. We all are. That's the original meaning, by the way, of jihad. It's not the jihadism. It's not terrorism. It is that battle inside of each and every one of us to be most fully ourselves and to allow that light inside us to shine, to remember, to remember, even if we need distance. And ask ourselves, what battle is that person fighting? What battle am I fighting? What kindness do I need What kindness do they deserve from me? Perhaps it was some of the same people that went to that God's Frozen People Church in a co-op that now exists in my community. I love co-ops. I was not born and bred in a co-op, but I spent a lot of my early years in a co-op. My dad organized the first recycling drive in the Lehigh Valley in the early 1970s. I grew up eating and hating that all-natural organic peanut butter that was like eating glue. One of the first pictures that I remember being taken of is me this small and a huge pile of compost this tall right next to me. And I was smiling and grinning from ear to ear. So when a co-op moved into our neighborhood, it was like mother's milk. It was like going back to my foundation. I loved it. We joined it. It has such amazing products. People are spending their money in it so mindfully. It's fantastic. But the people... I want to be the person, and I'm not, I can be here that, it's easy with all you people, but I want to be that person who runs down the center of the aisle and throws the hammer through the screen and says, folks, where is the love? Where is the kindness? When I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get past this person and they're holding their, you know, organic, free range, fair trade chicken thighs, I'm like, is a smile as perishable is a smile as perishable as that free range fair range you know chicken that you're holding in your hands it's not as perishable so i get a little bit of love a little bit of love here and you know what maybe they're just scared maybe they're playing that emotional game of chicken that i play sometimes too a smile is not perishable it is abundant and so i want to ask them and i want to ask all of you where is the love where is the kindness where is it Where is it? Where is the love? Where is the kindness? Where is it? I want to hear from you. Where is the love? Where is the kindness? What? 
What? Where is it? Where is it? Where is the love? Where is the kindness? Where are you going to share it? And we have a great deal. Oh, come on. Where are you going to share it? Thank you. We have a great deal more kindness than we would ever hope to show. We don't get credit at the end of our lives for holding on to our smiles like we would hold on to our cash. Where is it? Here. Amen. May you live in blessing. Let's pray together. Source of life, may we do honor to our lives, to you, to ourselves, and to each other. By not sitting on that kindness that we would share, by spreading it about instead abundantly all around us. May we recognize how many people are waiting for that touch, that good word, that kind gesture that reminds them that as hard and as cruel as life can be, that that is not the final truth about our existence. May we recognize that in our aspirations towards spiritual maturity, kindness are seeds that we plant each day. These seeds that follow with us allow us to flourish, allow all of life to flourish, and allow all of life to grow. Amen.